The pace of change today can be overwhelming. What's most important to pay attention to if you want to be creative, successful, innovative? I'm Bob Safian, host of Rapid Response. Rapid Response is a podcast that cuts through the noise, featuring candid conversations twice a week with top business leaders navigating real-time challenges. Leaders like Airbnb's Brian Chesky, the WNBA's Kathy Engelbart, and Khan Academy's Sal Khan. From the team behind the award-winning Masters of Scale podcast comes Rapid Response. Search wherever you get your podcasts to listen and subscribe. When people first hear about what I'm doing and the technology that we're designing, it's usually one of two things. One is this feeling of fear. The other one is this feeling like, wow, that's complete quackery. That can't work. If it was not going to the moon, where can you go? You go to the brain. Nobody's really ever asked the question, is this a solvable problem? The countless, thankless, thousands of hours of repetition to perfect a craft. We try, 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 and we don't get enough, and then we just quit. We call it muscle memory, but you know we know that the memory's not in our muscle, it's in our brain. Olympic athletes, musicians, trained pilots, trained young surgeons, helping fallen soldiers. Where else can we apply this thing? Learning a foreign language, learning to play the cello, help them rehab. The one thing I would ask of the skeptic is to have an open mind. The scientist you just heard was Daniel Chow. He invented a headset that hacks your brain with electricity so that you can learn as fast as a kid again. Right now, this headset helps you learn motor skills faster. In fact, many elite athletes are already using it during training. But we're not far from a future when Halo could help anyone master anything. Daniel is on Should This Exist because he wants to guide his invention towards a future that's good for all of us. It's the question of our times. How is technology impacting our humanity? Welcome to Should This Exist, from Wait What and Quartz. In this show, we invite an entrepreneur or scientist with a radical new invention to set aside their business plan and explore the human side of their work. What is the technology's greatest potential? And what could possibly go wrong? We'll debate, laugh, forecast the future, and then we'll ask the question, should this exist? Should this exist? I'm Katerina Fake, your host for Should This Exist. I believe that the boldest new technologies can help us flourish as human beings or destroy the very thing that makes us human. It's our choice. A bit about me. I co-founded Flickr and helped build companies like Etsy and Kickstarter from when they first started. I'm now a partner at YesVC. On today's show, Daniel Chow, the co-founder of Halo Neuroscience. His headset that helps you learn like a kid again costs a few hundred dollars. You want one? Easy. It's for sale online and any adult can buy it. 
When I first heard about Daniel's technology, I got extremely excited about the possibilities of becoming better and smarter and mastering all of the languages and musical instruments I had ever wanted to learn. But then I started to wonder, if everyone around me were using this device, would it just become a race to the top? Would all of us be on an endless success treadmill trying to outdo one another? The first question I ask about any technology is, who built it and why? So let's go back to medical school. Palo Alto, California, Stanford. Daniel was sitting in pharmacology class, about to have an aha moment. By week three or four, I realized that when people talk about the miracle of modern medicine, they're really talking about drugs. You know, you take a little pill every day and it's as if you didn't have high blood pressure. Then you get to the chapter on drugs for the brain and the wheels fall off. We treat the brain with drugs like the rest of the body, but the brain is different. Daniel started to focus in on that one solution that would make sense for treating the brain. And then he had a revelation. We know the brain is an electrical organ and we've known this for literally hundreds of years. And I was thinking like, what if we spoke the brain's language? What if we used electricity to retune the brain circuits, potentially to treat disease, potentially to extract more performance out of otherwise healthy people? Daniel sees himself in a long line of scientists who have pushed the boundaries of the brain using electricity, often in ways that sound truly bizarre. There's a scientist named Scribonius Longus, who's kind of a hero of ours here at the company, where he used electric eels literally electric eels, to get them agitated and to bite people and to use that as a way of uh, curing what, you know, he called in literally 2,000 years ago, melancholy or what we would call depression. In 2006, Daniel began working at Neuropace. Neuropace developed a system that controls epilepsy with electric currents, or what's known as neurostimulation. It won FDA approval and the vast majority of patients had their seizures reduced by 50% or more. So why isn't electricity the go-to treatment for everyone with epilepsy? Daniel remembers the exact moment when he understood. I was having dinner with an old friend of mine who is an epileptic, and the more I told him about the surgery and the equipment that would be installed in the skull and into the brain, he basically just cut me short and said, I, I can't do this. This is too much. What Daniel saw was fear. For neurostimulation to catch on, he needed to create hope. Maybe this was this aha moment that my now co-founder and I had. We began thinking about ways where we can build neurostimulators that were not a surgical implant. Potentially neurostimulators that could be wearable. The problem that we're trying to solve is in a nutshell, the slowness of adult learning. Nobody's really ever asked the question, is this a solvable problem? Our kids feel this virtuous cycle of putting in the effort where they just take off and their body of knowledge just grows. Where, you know, adults are on the total opposite of the spectrum, where we try, 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 and we don't get enough, and then we just quit. With neurostimulation, could we tilt this balance such that people move from the death spiral to this virtuous cycle? Before we go further, let me show you how this technology actually works. 
Halo Sport looks like a simple black headset that a DJ would wear in a booth at the club. But it's not. The band of the headset is lined with electrodes, which look like short plastic spikes. The spikes send electric pulses into the top of your head. This spot at the top of your head is the part of the brain that controls motion, the motor cortex. When you learned to ride a bicycle, it was the motor cortex that learned it. When you say you have muscle memory, it's the motor cortex that actually remembers. When we learn new skills, our brains form new connections or neural pathways. This ability of our brain is called neuroplasticity. As we get older, our brains become less plastic. New connections still form, but more slowly. The electric pulses from the Halo headset supercharge your brain's natural plasticity and help you learn movements faster. So what might Halo help you learn? The best example I've heard came from Baratunde Thurston, one of our season one experts. Baratunde's favorite use case, wedding dance videos. The first thing it brought up for me was dancing. Uh, I did a lot of musicals in high school and into college, and I was a pretty quick study, but I could be a quicker study with this. And the idea of being able to remember movements more easily or more quickly or in some way felt really cool. I know it's been popular in recent years for people getting married to want to do like a complex dance number at their weddings. And I just love the idea of like wedding parties using Halo to like up their skills to make their dope wedding videos. Like that's just ridiculous and fun and makes for better YouTube experiences for the rest of us. Let's hear what Daniel thinks about this not-so-obvious use case. Okay, so do you think that this could help people making dope wedding videos? Yes, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't even thought of how dope they could actually be, but no, I I think it would be a great use case because where Halo Sport really shines is in repetitive movement. Dancing is a great application because it's like, no, that's wrong. Do it again with your hand in this position. Do it again, do it again until you get it right. We've had a couple of folks on Dancing with the Stars use this. Yeah, yeah. So why not, you know, recently engage people practicing for their wedding dance? Baratunde will return later in the show to help us forecast different futures involving Halo. And there are a lot of possible futures. I really think there's a utopia built into Daniel's technology. And that utopia is a world in which everyone is learning. Everybody is flourishing. But I also think there's the potential that Daniel's technology could lead us to a dystopia. To a place where some people are more equal than others. A world of Gattaca, where there's special people. And then, the rest of us. I couldn't wait to dig into these possibilities with Daniel. Competitive sports is one thing, but I'm super interested in, you know, musical instruments and language acquisition. And when I see Halo, the halo around it is around that kind of of learning. So would you mind talking a little bit more about those use cases? Yeah. You know, we think of athletes as broader than just traditional sports. We think of musicians as athletes, like a pianist or a violinist. Um, those are athletes too, in our opinion. 
Like I used to play violin when I was a kid. I would love to pick up the violin and try to play Beethoven's concerto in D. It'd be a dream, but like I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking like, wow, that's gonna take forever. And it's like, it's just not worth my time. And so, you know, here's a life dream of mine that is pretty much lost. And that really sucks to me. I'm trying to wrap my simple, unzapped brain around how this technology plays out. You have to understand, I grew up as an overachiever. And when I was talking to Daniel, I immediately remembered this amazing video I saw on YouTube. Let me describe it to you here. It's a mashup of the winning dismounts from the uneven bars in the 1952 Olympics versus the winning dismounts from today. The woman who won the gymnastics competition in 1952 dismounts and lands on her feet. She throws up her arms in triumph and wins the gold medal. And then, in the Olympics from a few years ago, another woman dismounts, twists herself into five pretzels while in the air, then lands on her feet. She throws her arms up in triumph and wins the gold medal. This video perfectly depicts the crazy acceleration we've seen and how good we have to be to win. Not just in gymnastics, but in everything. How do you feel about this vis-a-vis Halo? Are we over-optimizing the well-optimized? Let's just say for fun, this technology becomes ubiquitous and everybody starts using this, or let's say not everybody, maybe only those with means have access to a technology like this and there becomes this arms race. So yeah, this is a world that I've thought of and I think this is going to happen with or without neurostimulation. So sort of the key weapon that I see today in this arms race is Adderall. Do you think that there's a possibility of abuse, like abusing it the same way that people are abusing Adderall? Abuse would be maybe using it too much, too frequently, or maybe you want to use it at a higher level of intensity. And we've thought of those things, and we have both software and hardware checks in place. Competition being what it is, it's not usable with children, or is it? We do not recommend anyone under 18 to use it. Any adult who buys it for their kids, you know, that's on them. I totally agree with Daniel's philosophy on kids, but I also couldn't help but wonder, could neurostimulation be used safely in schools? It's the thing that people have been trying to build into education for a really long time, which is that you enjoy learning, you learn quickly, technology somehow helps you learn. And in this case, the ability, it actually does help you learn, but it doesn't have addictive properties. Right, like video games are addictive because it spritzes in intermittently little blips of reward. And that's like a little drip of dopamine for your brain and you love it. Like learning a foreign language or math or anything in school, it's similar in that if you work hard, you'll make these little breakthroughs and you know this is this little reward that your brain feels. What if neurostimulation could accelerate learning so that the drips of dopamine happen more predictably, more frequently? Wouldn't that be awesome? We see ourselves as the fertilizer that will help the seed grow faster but you still have to plant the seed. And in the education model, you've got to plant the right seeds in the right part of the plot, otherwise it's not gonna grow. If you are a parent, a student, or an educator, we'd love to know what you think about Halo being used in a school setting. Tweet at us using hashtag shouldthisexist. Is there something preventing 
Halo as a company from releasing Halo language, Halo music. You started with Halo Sport. Mm -hmm. What's the obstacle? You know, it's just time and resources. Um, we're building different form factors that target the electrode to different parts of the brain for different learning problems, right? So like, you know, the learning problem could be language. And in that case, it wouldn't look like a set of headphones anymore because it would look really awkward trying to target the language cortex because, you know, the language cortex is not conveniently right above our ears. So what else could we get Halo to help us learn? Can it help you be more compassionate? Could it help you be more patient? Hmm. One could argue that compassion is a learned skill. I think we are born naturally with different amounts of compassion. Like anyone that's in a field that requires lots of compassion are probably born with a healthy dose of it just naturally. And then there are others more cutthroat born with less of it. And I would like to be more compassionate. Neurostimulation can play a role there, but I should say that nothing happens in a vacuum. Like the neurostimulation itself doesn't do anything unless the individual put some training in, right? So the same thing goes with training the brain to be more compassionate. Like if you don't practice it, then nothing happens. Anytime you're trying to change human behavior, you have to think about the long game. I asked Daniel about what I thought might be his secret plan. When we were starting Flickr, it was 2003. And all of the hard work of getting people accustomed to the idea of putting their information online had been done by this company, Friendster. There was readiness for the technology. You said that one of the reasons that you had started Halo was because your experience with Neuropace showed you that in spite of its amazing efficacy, people were still reluctant to do it. Do you see this as being the thin edge of the wedge? Is Halo a sneak readiness product? Right. So is Halo the vehicle to get people used to neurostimulation, unafraid of neurostimulation, trying neurostimulation? And then in the future, could we use that knowledge and comfort with neurostimulation to do implants? You know, I haven't even, like, honestly, I haven't really even thought that far. One of the limitations of our technology, and it's a double-edged sword, that's probably the reason why it's so safe, is the level of penetration. It's very limited, right? The electric field can only go so deep into our brain before the strength of the field starts to fizzle out and it, it, it's not effective anymore. Now, does Halo eventually involve or evolve into a company that really hungers to solve some of these problems that involve deeper structures? And does that involve a medical implant at that time or a surgical implant of some sort? Maybe. I love talking to Daniel and could have talked to him forever. But the whole point of this show is to create a new kind of conversation, a conversation between the entrepreneur and the world. When you're the inventor, it's easy to get stuck in your head and assume that your vision of the future is the only future that will exist. But, spoiler alert, it's not. So welcome to the Should This Exist workshop. Here, Daniel and I will respond to ideas I've gathered from super smart creative experts. We asked each of them to throw unexpected things at us, both possibilities and pitfalls that Daniel might otherwise miss. The two experts I spoke with could not be more different. 
Kevin Delaney is a veteran journalist who's covered technology for over 20 years. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Quartz, and he brings to us both his journalistic rigor and his healthy skepticism. Halo is a really, really interesting idea, and it highlights more than anything how little we know about how our brain works. Baratunde is an Emmy Award-nominated comedian, writer, and cultural critic who helped relaunch The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Baratunde is always thinking about the unexpected ways technology sneaks into our social lives. I wonder, if you get really good at the Halo, and you're amping up all the time, and you're using it to type better, to swipe better, to tender harder, to like day trade better, whatever the physical motion is that's required, could you get so good at it that you basically become Professor X? It's it real weird. You're basically an X-Men. We're going to start with a vision of one possible future from Kevin. What would happen if people became dependent on Halo to function in their daily lives? If I need my hyper-learning headphones to be able to feel like I'm capable of learning anything, what do I do when I don't have my headphones? What do I do if they're out of battery? What if my lack of confidence about my ability to learn that's not in some sort of artificially assisted state? We can already learn without Halo. What happens when we feel dependent on the headset? Is Kevin right? Will Halo become a learning crutch? Here's Daniel's thought. Yeah, I I guess it's definitely a risk. But I guess, you know, Halo Sport wouldn't be the only product to run into this problem in the history of humanity. I get a little irritated if I'm not close to coffee in the morning. And, you know, I don't like it if I'm too far away from my cell phone. So there are, you know, these dependencies that I have with certain things. So yeah, it's a tricky one. And I don't know if there's a solution, honestly, Katarina. Dependencies are one thing, but addiction is another. Could users become addicted to Halo? I pushed Daniel on this. We've never heard in our thousands of users that it was addictive in any way, which going into this, I could have predicted that. You know, what makes something addictive is wrap it on, wrap it off. The feeling of something that comes rapidly on, take for example, cocaine, one of the most addictive substances on earth, and then wrap it off. Like minutes later, you feel the consequences of not having enough of it. With neurostimulation, especially our form of neurostimulation, the kinetics are not like that. It's slow on, slow off. Beyond the physical impact of neurostimulation on our bodies, Halo inspired Baratunde to ponder whether Halo could change the very nature of humanity. Pumping your brain full of electricity instead of pumping your blood full of steroids or other kind of physical enhancers, it feels like a real parallel act. Like literally I'm amped, I'm powered up, I'm lit, right? Like like slang becomes literal with this device. And I, I suspect, and I think on the other side of how people might use this and how popular it might get, is a yearning for a sort of artisanal physical human. An artisanal human. I loved this idea that Halo could ultimately make us nostalgic for the time before neurostimulation. There will be major debates about what qualifies as a real human in the future. In the same way you have to answer questions when you want to become a citizen of a nation or get a job or anything you have to qualify for, you'll have to answer truthfully 
Have you taken any neuro-enhancing substances? Have you used any neuro-priming technologies in the past six months? Do you wear shoes? Like, what, what's the threshold? <laughs> when you watch people run marathons today, they're all wearing shoes, right? Shoes are like a technology that we didn't always have. But if you're going to run a marathon, you're definitely going to do it with shoes. You're probably going to do it with some kind of high-performance shoe. You might even have compression clothing gear on. I gathered Daniel's thoughts about the idea of artisanal people versus primed people. Right. What is a real human? I, I guess, what, what is the Wikipedia definition of a real human? Or there's maybe a more philosophical angle, like, you know, are we all enhanced in some way such that we're all not real? Like, is the humankind of the Paleolithic era, you know, a lot of people want to live like cavemen. <laughs> the paleo diet. We're kind of going yeah, the that paleo direction. Diet. <laughs> um, you know, is that like in only doing things like that, is that is that a real human, right? Live in caves and eat raw food and so-called whole foods. You know, what's cheating, I guess, right? Like what is it that makes us unfair to the paleolithic era? It's a great point. Our idea of a real human changes over time to include technologies we can no longer live without. Let's get back to the tangible now, the hardware. Kevin wondered whether Halo actually works. I think at a base level, all of the, the research and marketing suggests that there is a placebo effect here. So I know when I go out running, often before I go running, I drink a big cup of coffee. So 20 minutes into my run, when I'm starting to flag, I get this caffeine rush, which helps me get through my run. So. I think this is pretty similar, is my guess. So, how does Daniel account for the placebo effect in his research and testing? And how does he prove that, yes, Halo actually works? I explored this with him. It's actually really important that we talk about the placebo effect. Thankfully, experimentally, there's a way to control for that. What you do is you take a group of people in a random way, split them into two, and half of them get real neurostimulation, and the other half get what we call sham neurostimulation. So sham neurostimulation feels like the real thing, but it actually doesn't work. So just about everybody enrolled in the study feels like they're getting the real thing, while only half of them are. They know they enrolled in a neurostimulation research trial, and heck, they're giving me this new task. And so they're very motivated because of that. And, and there's your placebo effect. And we can see the rate at which they learn versus the experimental group, which is getting real neurostimulation. And, you know, the hypothesis is, is that there would be a difference between the two groups, right? That the group getting real neurostimulation, their performance eventually will exceed the performance of the control group. Daniel proved his hypothesis in a research trial measuring the impact of neurostimulation on people's ability to perform complex piano chords. Those who received neurostimulation improved by 32%, whereas those who did not improved by 18%. I wanted to wrap up the session with some blue sky utopian thinking and some dark cloud dystopian thinking. Our dystopian vision came unexpectedly from Baratunde. Who do you think would love this most? Sadly, I think bosses will love this. And... I'll be honest with you, I had like the darkest thought I had because I've been living in a historical mode right now was slavery and sort of forced labor and sweatshops. 
And for those who can exercise power over the use of other people's bodies, they will want this. And in certain jurisdictions, they will be able to impose this on, on the workforce. That is one of the darkest uses of this I could imagine. And we've been doing it for as long as there have been people. Here is a hoe to help you move the soil more easily. Here is this vehicle to help you haul these things. I don't want this to go that way. I don't want our world to go that way, but it has continued to show that it can and will go that way. I just see like a terrible manager forcing their labor employees, their physical labor employees to put these headphones on to like learn the moves faster, to be more efficient, to get 10, 20, 30 percent quicker or less exhaustion at physically fulfilling orders. And let's wrap up with some utopian thinking, courtesy of Kevin. I think if this technology worked, I think there are lots of scenarios where it could be used to help people. So there are lots of scenarios with retraining of workers whose jobs are being eliminated. There are lots of people who haven't had access to training and education and therefore are excluded from parts of the economy. And now let's hear from Daniel. How does he see Halo impacting the future of work? Here's what he had to say. Our first and only product right now is this product for movement learning. And, you know, there's certainly jobs that involve movement, um, machine operators and that type of thing where, you know, the skill of one's hands is important for the outcome. But, uh, you know, let's face it, the workforce is not going towards more manual skilled labor. It's going away from that. And so movement learning, I think, will have relatively low impact in helping people find new work. So, you know, I think it's really about cognitive learning and people's ability to learn new cognitive skills, critical thinking skills. You know, it would be a different product. And presumably when you're learning in school, you know, or people who have just not had the same advantages as others could catch up more quickly. That's right. So much happens when we're young because that's when we learn the fastest. But, you know, I guess at the end of the day, what our product does is it makes your brain temporarily kid-like. It makes it, it makes it so that it's spongier and it can absorb information for a window of time, of course, not permanently. But, you know, you could take advantage of this window of time to kind of shove more information and have it stick to a greater extent. So, yeah, if someone grew up in an environment where they didn't have all the privileges of the learning opportunities and the best teachers and the best life experiences and into adulthood, they were afforded these opportunities. You know, there's an opportunity to use a technology like this to play catch up. I love that scenario. Okay. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm a generalist, not an expert in neuroscience. So like you, I'm trying to figure out what my life and my friends and families would be like with Halo. I know that all of you listening are experts in something, whether it's sports or education or parenting or even neuroscience. What do you think about Halo? I'd love to know. Should students use it in school? Should athletes use it to train? Let's start a real dialogue about the possibilities and the perils. And of course, answer the question, should this exist? Let us know what you think of Halo. Tweet at us using hashtag shouldthisexist. Stay with us through the break for a special treat. 
asked Samus, a rapper pursuing her PhD in science and technology, to break down the science behind Halo. Yeah, yeah. It seems we're engineering faster learning brains Just imagine what can happen All the risks and all the gains Yo, Halo is a new device that spurs a hyperplastic state Meaning when you use it you can learn at a much faster rate You wear it like it's headphones while you're practicing a sport Cause Halo then moves electric current through your motor cortex Which controls the motion in your body So when you add some voltage to the party While well, your dome's just getting started It all revolves around the organ Bobbing round your noggin It's always turned on whether you're nodding off or Jogging all your neurons, that's the term reserved for your nerve cells. They send electric signals when you learn skills. When you're learning a skill like how to bat or to rap, great. Your brain is forming new neural pathways. But sad face, it won't last forever. Older learners lag, yes indeed. Only younger folks have active neuroplasticity. That's another phrase for the state when your brain learns. When you come of age, then your brain firms. No, it gets less plastic, the pathways get slow. We need something drastic, halo. Come to the rescue But what does Halo mean For the haves and the have-nothings Rich cats get brain hacks With some rad plugins The other half won't get past the competition Another way the cards are stacked against them On the other hand Halo offers hope for slow and older learners To overturn the code of programs Running on our servers What if humans each had Halo Sitting in our toolkits What a feat it is to teach an older dog Some new tricks It seems we're engineering Faster learning brains Just imagine what should This Exist is a Wait What original produced with Quartz. This episode was produced at the studio and SY Partners in New York. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our producers are Sarah Singer and Timothy Lou Lee. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. Adam Skews helped with the writing. Jenny Cataldo helped with this episode's production. Special thanks to Baratunde Thurston and Kevin Delaney for their expert perspectives. Special thanks to Samus for her original composition. Opening music by Billy Libby. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And subscribe to the Quartz Obsession newsletter at qz.com obsession for additional reporting about Halo. 